0: So my wife and I, Suzette, uh, we moved from San Francisco to Chicago. It's been over a year now. We've had two Thanksgivings, two Christmases, two New Year's, one polar vortex. And I can't believe it's been over a year for us. But when we first realized and submitted to God's call to move back to Chicago, the first thing we knew we had to do was find a church. Uh, And not just any church, but a church that presented the marks of a true church, a church that Martin Luther, who was the father of the Protestant Reformation, he declared that a a true church is the sole uninterrupted infallible mark of the church has always been the Word. Martin Luther and and my wife and I we understand understood that the true church is marked by a humble submission to Scripture. And related to, it's a tangent though, but related to what um, uh, Brian and Joe were sharing a little bit, uh, I want to take a bit of a tangent. Uh, I used to be a Sunday school teacher back in San Francisco, uh, and I would teach the senior high school students And one of the things we talked about as they were preparing to leave for college is how do we find a church? What are the marks of a church that we should be looking for? So for those of you here today who are are seeking a a church or those of you who are listening online or through the podcast who are are looking for a true church, these are three marks, three indicators that I'm going to ask you to look for and hopefully identify within our church as well when you're looking for a true church. And the first thing is this make sure that that church is, considering, is faithfully preaching God's Word. John Calvin, who is another uh, seminal figure in the Protestant Reformation, he explained that the faithful preaching of God's Word must include the faithful hearing and the faithful receiving of that Word. See, worship is a dialogue between God and His people. And so if God is speaking through the preaching of His Word, but no one is listening, and no one is responding, then does a church exist? See, a true church is where the Word is faithfully preached and faithfully received. The second mark or indicator of a true church is the faithful administration of the sacraments. And I, it's, it's a little bit of a fancy phrase, but sacraments will include baptism, and also the lord's supper or communion something that we're going to be able to celebrate today as the first sunday of the month and these are things that are intended these sacraments to be a public and a corporate display of the heart of the gospel see baptism shows that we are saved only by the washing away of sin by jesus and communion it shows that christians are redeemed christians are only made alive by the body and the blood that Christ offered as a sacrifice on the cross. And the third mark, if you're looking at a long, long tangent, I apologize, but the third mark to look for, if you're seeking a true church, and hopefully these are signs you see here at Beloved, but if you're seeking a true church, you need to find a church where discipline is actually a part of that church. And, and last year we saw a bit of that here at Beloved. See scripture-based discipline it demonstrates that the church's determination the church's desire is to pursue gospel transformed holiness see if if the church allows heresy if the church tolerates unchristian behavior is it faithfully responding to the word of god ultimately scriptural discipline is how we test whether the word is being faithfully preached and faithfully applied. So if you're seeking to find a a true church, you're looking for a church that uh, makes gospel transform, spirit-filled disciples, look for these marks, look for these indicators, and understand that these indicators, these marks ultimately point to whether or not the church has a reliance on the word of God alone, because the true church submits to God which leads us to today's message today's passage so today is the first Sunday of 2020 it's the first Sunday that we get to gather together as a body of believers it's good to see so many of you guys back in town from you know visiting family and friends um, and it's the uh, truth of the matter is as it was shared 2019 was rough for Church of the Beloved it was a difficult year. It was a year of scandals. It was a year of departures, change, of transition. But today is new. It starts all anew for us. So the pastors of the Church of the Beloved decided you know what? Why don't we kick off the year with a sermon series that reminds those who attend, those who are part of our community, our family, why we are a church. Not just what we do, which is important. But the hope is that if we as a congregation start to understand the whys, the the reasons for who we are, a congregation, who we are as a church, then we'll be able to actually commit to the what we do. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be presenting you uh, a why series, why we engage in Scripture, why we sing, why we pray, why we go on missions, and ultimately why we have fellowship. And today is the first why. Why? Why do we study scripture? Why do we engage in scripture? Another way to phrase that question is, why do we believe that the Bible is the word of God and is vital to who we are and what we do as a church? So I'm going to focus on today what my wife Suzette and I were searching for, when we first came back to Chicago. See, the Church of the Beloved, I believe, is a church that wholly submits to Scripture, relies on it alone, not any one person or group of people, but to Scripture alone. And I want to explain how I believe that to be the case by dissecting the two verses that Carolyn read for us today. And we're going to look at it through four questions, all right? Simply, the first question is, what is Scripture? The second question I want to ask is, what is the alternative to Scripture? Third is going to be, what is its purpose? And finally, what is our response to that? So let's dive in to this. And when I ask the question, what is Scripture? I turn to verse 16, the first half of it, and it simply says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. I want to read to you our church's statement of belief with regards to Holy Scripture. And in what our church believes is that the bible is the word of god fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts written under the inspiration of the holy spirit and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct in other words scripture or the bible is a divine message given by god about god to you to all of us this is scripture now, as I was preparing for this, there's likely a nagging question that may have uh, entered into your mind or that may have been posed to you in the past. And I think that we need to consider this before we dive too much further into the what is scripture question, which is, is the Bible something I can rely on? Is it, is it a reliable book? Because we're, face, we're basing everything that we're about to hear on this book. This term, the term used for this type, answering this type of question is called apologetics, and some of you may be familiar with that. Apologetics it is the defense of a religious doctrine, like the reliability of the Bible, using systematic and reasoned arguments and discourse. Now, the the evidence. Uh, And and discussions regarding reliability of the Bible, as well as other apologetic type debates, is really interesting. And if this is something that draws you, I encourage you please dive into that. There are so many resources available today, good ones, uh, that can help you through that process of looking at those questions and understanding them and answering them. And in the process of preparing for today, I was actually focusing on two of them. One uh, is a website. It's called ColdCaseChristianity.com. Uh, it was created by a, fo- a former cop, a forensic investigator, who eventually became an apologetics professor at Biola University on the West Coast. And he dives into so many apologetic debates and topics, including the reliability of the Bible. It's, it's fascinating. And there's an, Another one, you know, for those of you who are more into podcasts that I've been listening to, I just finished um, And uh, it's called Hinge, and it's between a pastor and an atheist. It's an an amazing and riveting investigation with no resolution necessarily, but one that leads you to your own conclusion. But it's, uh, it's about the evidence for Christ. But considering that question, is the Bible reliable? It is a valid one. I don't want to negate that question because ultimately God doesn't expect us to sever logic from our faith. He does provide evidence. There is evidence. There's the physical evidence. For example, there are thousands of manuscripts that actually prove historical consist- consistency. Sorry, uh, there's there's archaeological artifacts that support biblical stories. There's even non-biblical evidence and writings by non-Jewish and non-Christian authors that point to and support biblical references. And all these things help demonstrate that God uses to demonstrate the historical reliability of the Bible. There's there's also uh, evidence that proves the divine nature of the Bible, the word of God. You see it through, for example, fulfilled prophecy throughout the bible one example is uh jeremiah now the prophet jeremiah was told by god through a prophecy uh that uh, judah would be under captivity for 70 years over 70 years by babylon and he wrote this prophecy down in jeremiah chapter 25 verse uh 11 to 12 20 or 50 years before it actually happened You see examples of that throughout the Bible. You can also see the divine nature of the gospel, of the Holy Scripture, based on the actual impact that Christ and Christianity has had on the world. I believe that Christianity has had more impact as a religion on the world than any other faith. Consider this. Before Jesus entered the scene, there was was no concept of a single universal truth. Every culture had their own God or gods, and cultures did not try to force or uh, bring other people into their gods. Uh, They didn't say, your God's no good, it's just our God is better. But here comes Jesus, and he's now introducing the concept of a single universal truth that all should have the opportunity to learn and listen. And this idea of a single universal truth is even an idea that atheists use. Because they believe, singly, there is no God. Not that your culture has your own God. But the idea of a single truth comes from Christianity. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to stop here. I'm like going to say it's a very interesting topic, and I encourage you, if, if this is a question that you know, is weighing on you a bit, don't run from it, run to it. Seek it. Look at scientific methodology. Look at archaeological artifacts. They can demonstrate the historical reliability of the Bible. Look at scripture. Look at fulfilled prophecy. Look at Christ's lasting impact. Because you can see the divine nature of the Bible. But I'm going to work on this assumption that the Bible is reliable and true. And we're going to go look at verse 16 where it says all scripture is breathed out by God. And consider this. The original Greek word, that's translated to breathed out, uh, that word is not used by the apostles to describe anything other than the Bible, the gospel. And the writers of the Bible, they're intending to state that the Bible is unique in that it is absolutely the voice and the words of God. We also use words like "inspired" in, in our statement of, uh, of beliefs when talking about God breathed scripture. And we're not talking about the inspiration that leads to beautiful paintings or, or writing a ballad. Ultimately, we're talking about really this, the most accurate way of representing this phrase is that it is breathed out by God. It is the very speech of God. Now, understand it's not limited to the Old Testament. It is inclusive of the New Testament. And we know this because Jesus actually taught this. On a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he said that his words have the same God-breathed authority. The second half of John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So what is Scripture. The first question I was going to ask, which is this. Scripture, the Bible, is the very speech of God provided by God to point us to God. So if that's what scripture is, what's the alternative? As uh Patois mentioned, I do have a day job. I, I work in the software industry. Uh, and over the years, uh, Suzette and I, we've been involved in a lot of different relief efforts. Uh, after we, we used to do a lot of volunteer work with Habitat for Humanity um, And we've also been involved with a lot of the efforts originally in New Orleans, uh helping with after Hurricane Katrina And we're also very involved with the efforts that we are in, uh, supporting in Zambia uh, And in southern Africa and in all these opportunities all these environments I am constantly surrounded by non-Christians non-Christians who act good out of a sense of moral duty and I do remember conversations in New Orleans just talking about what makes you different from me as a Christian because we're doing the same thing and these friends we met ultimately they act out of an understanding and a belief that that humanity is is basically good and capable of living a moral and self-fulfilled life and looking at them and looking at what they do it, it honestly it felt right like yeah I can I can get that but then we turn to verse 13 and in verse 13 Paul writes while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived let me explain that see these folks that we interacted these friends we made and worked with they work off a belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without God See, they strive to live out the ideas of religion without the baggage of a redeemer. So the alternative to scriptural or biblical authority or reliance, and I think it's extremely prevalent here in Wicker Park too, is this type of humanistic idealism that takes God away from faith. The alternative to living by a scripture breathed out by God assumes that humanity will be just fine if we depend on ourselves, on each other. But ultimately, the problem is we're evil. Romans says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're evil people. And we're going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, when we shift the focus of active faith from the Messiah to man, it means that we're shifting the moral foundation that we had in the gospel to the godless. The alternative of a humble submission to a God-breathed scripture requires shifting one's foundational beliefs to the constantly changing standards and values of culture instead of depending on the constant and unchanging God. Because culture will change, should change constantly, God does not. Let me give you an example of this dichotomy between culture and creator. Let's just look back like 50 years. And 50 years ago, you know, there was an understanding with regards to sex. Sex was understood to be limited to the union between a wife and a husband. I'm not saying it didn't happen outside of that context, but that was the expectation. That was the value system that existed. And it mimicked the biblical concert standard that God intended. Now, today, the cultural standard regarding sexuality and sex is that consent between adults, it drives sexual appropriateness, not the original design of God. And we see this in our conversations, in our discussions, TV, movies, the expectation of, should I have sex on the first date or the third date? Suddenly, it shifts. A moral moral foundation that is based on the ever changing cultural norms means that now consent informs sexual norms, not God, not what the Bible actually teaches. Now, I'm not saying that that the culture is necessarily teaching bad things all the time or, or that we can't learn from it, because I think there are good things to learn. But in this one example, in this one example, we see that this focus on the culture changes the original norm set by an unchanging god to a changing culture the norm set that sex is intended to be limited to the marriage union between a wife and a husband so as a church we're not striving to, to destroy cultural context that's not our intent but we do strive to stand apart from it and how we stand apart is by basing our foundation not on the shifting sands of society, but rather on the solid rock of Christ. And the alternative to scriptural authority provided by God to point us to God is a human authority that is driven by ever-changing cultural norms that will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Scripture is the... um, divine message given by God about God to all of us and and, and the alternative is uh, is to override scriptural authority with human authority the third question I mentioned that I want to answer is what is its purpose now back in World War II historians and uh, at the time the actual statisticians, uh, people who planned out war uh, they would say that D-Day was a turning point of the word war at that point it was obvious who was gonna win. Nazis were losing or had lost, the Allies were going to win. And D-Day was the day when the Allied troops landed in Normandy. But the actual end of the war didn't come till over a year later. The day of victory, or V-Day, did not happen until much later. And and the time between D-Day and V-Day was some of the bloodiest and vicious battles of the war. Last month, During Advent, I mentioned that we're now in this time between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return. And in this time, you are likely seeing some of the bloodiest and most vicious battles in your own spiritual life. See, we've won. But the enemy hasn't given up yet. The purpose of scripture, Scripture and why we lean on it, its reliability and its authority, is because we're in that between time right now. And we need the scripture to help us as we await his victorious return. To speak more plainly, the purpose of scripture is actually laid out in the second half of verse 16 and in verse 17. It says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for for correction, and for training in righteousness. And the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul writes, that the Bible is profitable. The Bible is useful. It provides wisdom, it provides knowledge we need for every good work and there's a quote that I heard recently, I think it's pretty cool. It says, "You are not what you think you are, but what you think you are." See, the reliance on the authority of scripture, it intends to consume your thoughts with the words and thoughts of God so that you might become more Christ-like in your day today, so that what you think you are. Our desire as a church of the beloved is to emphasize and to rely on Scripture so that we might as brothers and sisters in the family of Jesus start seeing the world from God's point of view. There's two Passages in the Old Testament that I I want to point out really quickly. One is in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And in this, Moses is giving instructions to the future king of Israel, whoever that might be. And in this instruction, as he lays out what the first thing a king must do is, he doesn't tell them to set up a structure, uh, identify how we're going to vote for each other, or anything like that. The first thing he says is to tell them to make a copy of the law. Write out the Bible and read it every single day. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18 reads, And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And I shall be with him, and he shall read it on all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. In Psalms, the author of Psalms and uh, Before service, we gather together and we're going through all the Psalms uh, as we prepare to pray for everyone here and for this church. But the author of Psalms chapter 1, he starts this collection of poems and worship songs with this primary understanding that our number one priority must be meditating on the Word of God every day, every night. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Scripture is the divine message given by God about God to all of us. And the alternative to scriptural authority is human authority. The purpose of scripture is to, to in this time between Jesus' resurrection and his return, see the world and place placing it from God's point of view and our response to this ultimately is this, as these two passages point out, is to read it. It's so simple. It's to meditate on it day and night. Verses 14 and 15 of uh, Second Timothy that was read today, chapter 3. Let me just read that to you. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, the life we're living right now on this planet, in this community, at this time, there are gonna be good days and bad days. There are gonna be celebrations and blows, but because we rely on the Bible as our standard, because Holy Scripture is our foundation, We have a hope that's not dependent on the fickleness of humanity. We have a hope that is dependent on a good and perfect God, a God that has already figured it all out, a God that sometimes is beyond my understanding, but is never beyond his reach. Practically speaking, our response to an acceptance of scriptural authority is to get to know that authority. I know it sounds very simplistic, but you know, our response is to read this book. Throughout scripture, if you read and look at what is said, it is constantly telling us, read the scripture, read the words of the law. This is why our small groups right now are striving so hard to increase our own knowledge uh, in biblical literacy. We want to have everyone increase in their knowledge of the Word of God because we know it's profitable for teaching. We know it's good for correction and for training and equipping us for good work. So let me wrap it up here. Scripture is a divine message given by God about God to all of us. The alternative that hopefully we want to avoid of scriptural authority is human authority. And the purpose is for us to be able to see this world from God's point of view, to strengthen us through our battle. Our response simply is to get to know this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now why do we focus on the Bible? Why do we constantly point back to the gospel? Why do we constantly remind our congregation of the need for a redemption brought by, bought by Jesus' life and resurrection, as written in this holy Bible? It's because we believe that the Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is, it is the standard for my life. It's the standard that God had always intended. This book supports salvation, and this book fans faith. Will you pray with me?